0: I'd like you to think about two really simple words. I and no. I and no. How you say those two words can mean a lot. So you can say them casually as in a form of agreement. Oh yeah, I know what you mean, right? You can say them to impress Yeah, I already know that. Or you can say them through gritted teeth. I know. And you're saying more than I know in that moment, right? I'd like to think this has happened to more than just me. I've noticed times when I've been in conversation with someone, someone who knows a lot more than I do about a topic And then there comes a moment in the conversation when I do happen to know something and I want them to know that I know. And the times when I've reflected on that, it's not good that I want them to know that I know. Right? They're really simple words. I know. But they can reveal a lot about us. I think it's interesting. Funny, I I had not noticed it. But our collect today starts with, Almighty God, you know. <laughs> and one of the things I want to communicate to you this morning is that the good news of Jesus, the posture of it, if we're to, if we're to be a Christian, it starts with, you know, not I know. There's a really significant difference in the posture of those two phrases, you know, not I know. So it, over the next couple of weeks, a few weeks, we're going to be hearing stories of Jesus encountering people and inviting them to believe in him. They're vastly different kinds of people. So this week is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, uh, is representative of the most faithful and devout people in Israel. He is at the top of the top of the religious elite in Israel. And by elite, I don't mean bad. He is one of the most devout people in the nation. Jesus calls him a teacher of Israel. That's his reputation. Next week is the Samaritan woman. It it, it comes just after Nicodemus that Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman and she is the exact opposite of Nicodemus in almost every way imaginable. And these vastly different people meeting Jesus and Jesus calling them equally into relationship with Him, it's actually a picture of John 3.16 playing out in the world. John is trying to communicate, here is what it looks like that God so loved the world. The world that has abandoned Him at every turn, good people and bad people alike. But God so loved that world that He sent His Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. In a sense, with these people, vastly different people that they are, John is trying to communicate these are the whoever's of the world that God sent his son to die for and to forgive their sin. So whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, this gospel wants to say to you, your sins can be forgiven. Look at this Jesus who wants to forgive your sins, no matter what those sins are. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman represent the breadth of that whoever. The breadth of people whom Jesus is calling to believe in Him and to receive eternal life. Now, I want to talk with you this morning about what it means to believe in Jesus. Okay, so John says, that he, God so loved the world that He sent His Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What, what does that believing mean? And then at the end, I want to talk to you about the, the different ways that that believing can look. We often have in our minds what it looks like to believe a certain thing. And I think John is intent to show us that it might not always look the way that we think. We think it might surprise us. So here's the first thing I want to talk to you about is what it means to believe in Jesus. And here's what it means. Here's what John wants to communicate to us, is that believing in Jesus means leaving behind all our normal ways of knowing things. It's really hard in this regard because to believe in Jesus, you have to leave behind all the ways that you've become accustomed to knowing things in the world. Let me, let me explain this. So, the first words out of Nicodemus' mouth to Jesus, do you know what they are? We know. <laughs> we know. Again, they're simple words, but they carry a lot of weight. Nicodemus is an older man, and he has all the credentials one can imagine to know things. He's a Pharisee. He's also a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is called the Sanhedrin. So he is the best of the best. Jesus later asks him, aren't you the teacher of Israel? And that is Nicodemus' reputation. He's not being sarcastic. Jesus is not when he says that. This is Nicodemus' reputation. He's recognized as a premier teacher of the faith in Israel. And while we may read that as a, you know, a bad thing, a snooty thing, you know, they turn their nose up at people, it, it was respected. It was admirable. Nicodemus loves the faith of his people. So Nicodemus starts his conversation with Jesus with what he knows. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus probably thinks he's paying Jesus a compliment, right? He's being nice. We, we, Jesus, we know that you're from God. Jesus, he is not a Southerner. He is not a Southern boy. He's not. And by the way, he's also probably half Nicodemus's age. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, sitting across from this young, new rabbi, is told that all his knowledge comes up short. Imagine the weight of this. All his knowledge, all his training, it's not enough for him to know what he needs to know about Jesus. So Jesus immediately tells Nicodemus, he doesn't accept the compliment. He immediately says, let me tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is not being very seeker sensitive in this moment either. He's telling him, Nicodemus, it's not enough. And this is a difficult concept for Nicodemus to accept. And I think the reason is that it's so mysterious. It doesn't fit within all the boxes that he's learned in his training of how God is supposed to work. At one point, Nicodemus becomes exasperated in this conversation and he asks, how can these things be? And Jesus tells him, you're a teacher of Israel? And yet, you do not know about all this? Now, I want to make sure you hear this. Jesus just burned somebody. (laughs) Remember, Nicodemus starts with, we know. And Jesus tells him, you're the teacher of Israel, but you don't know this? He's burning him. Jesus is basically saying, I thought you knew everything there is to know about our faith but you don't. And then Jesus tells him, I'm telling you the solemn truth. We're talking about things we know about. It's like Genesis chapter 1 when God says, let us make man in our image. Who is the we that Jesus is describing? Uh, well, it sounds as if it is the Trinity itself. We. God himself is communicating to you, Nicodemus, and we're telling you things that we know about. We're giving evidence about things that we have seen, but you, and I think this is a great translation of it, you will not admit our evidence. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus. We're giving you all the evidence, but you won't accept it. All your knowledge is blocking you from receiving the key thing that you need to hear. Jesus in this moment is describing the work of God's Spirit in causing people to be born again. And he says it's invisible like the wind, but you can certainly see the effects of it. Nicodemus may know that Jesus is from God, but that is as far as his knowledge can get him. When it comes to knowing Jesus by believing in Him and believing in the mysterious power of God, all Nicodemus' training and all his credentials become a barrier to the truth and a kind of liability. This is hard to imagine, but all of us need to consider that all of the expertise that we have developed in our lives can be a kind of Liability to following and believing in Jesus. This is not the only example in Scripture of knowledge, even knowledge about really good things, becoming a barrier to believing in Jesus. So Paul says that he had to leave behind everything, everything, so that he could know Christ. Remember, not not I know you know. That's the posture of believing in Jesus and of following God. And Paul had to leave behind everything so that he could know Christ. All of his training in his faith, the same faith that Jesus was coming to fulfill, that's good training. But in some way, it blocked Paul from really believing and giving his life to Jesus. Everything had become dead weight and held him back from following the Lord Jesus. And Paul also says that when he preached about Jesus, he resolved to know nothing except Christ crucified. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. Does this mean that we have to become ignorant to believe in Jesus? Anti intellectual. Some Christians have gained that reputation. It's not, absolutely not. The problem that Jesus is revealing with Nicodemus is that we as humans tend to turn everything we know into an idol. We do. We do this even with the best kinds of knowledge. Even with knowledge about God. Even good theology. We can turn into an idol. And what we know becomes a weapon to be used against the things we don't know. I think that's key. The things that we know, we create into a weapon to use against the things we don't know. And when we do that, when we use what we know as a weapon against things we don't know, we miss the truth. You know, I I think that if we tried to spend some time with this, we could probably come up with some examples of it in modern politics and not just on one side. People become so committed to a way of thinking that using the words, I don't know, or I was wrong, are nearly impossible to utter. We would rather be committed to a way, and that way be wrong, and us have to save face, than use the words, I don't know, or I was wrong. God wants us to do what Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The problem is that humans can twist anything, even very good things. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into a deeper and more powerful way of knowing but he will have to leave behind all the ways of knowing he has become accustomed to in his life. Instead of, I know, we know, you know. And this is where the story of Abraham in the Old Testament that we heard read for us, that Heather read for us, it's a pattern for what it means to believe in Jesus. Whether you're not a Christian or whether you are a Christian, you've been a Christian for a very long time, the story of Abraham is a picture for what it means to believe in Jesus at any point in your life. Abraham was at this age in life when most people are settling down. If you have kids, the kids are telling you, Mom, Dad, don't do anything crazy now. Okay? Downsize. Settle. But Abraham, this is the moment in his life when he goes on the greatest adventure he's ever had. He leaves behind nearly everything he has ever known in order to believe and follow this God, this mysterious and all-powerful God who calls him. And that's a picture of what it means for any of us to believe in God at any point in our lives. It is leaving behind your normal way of knowing things and saying to God, I will follow you anywhere. Even though it's difficult, this is a deeper and more satisfying way of knowing. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, we all have to work on this our entire lives. We continually as humans drift back into a normal way, human way of knowing things, using what we know as a weapon to protect ourselves and creating our boxes for God to live in. Now in Lent, it's unusual to me that this passage is a Lenten passage, but I, I found this beautiful thing in it. Because in Lent, we enter into practices to reshape how we know things. Think about this. The three main Lenten practices are fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. And these practices do not make sense in the world apart from faith. Each of these practices are pushing back on our normal ways of knowing. They're challenging us not to lean on our own understanding, but on God. Each of them. So in fasting, we're breaking the habit of reaching for food every time our body tells us to do so. And instead, we're training ourselves to listen to God and to trust that He will provide for us. He will give us what we need to live. Hey, this is, I'm not, this is not at all boasting. You have to trust me on that. I, I am so addicted to coffee. I crave it from the first thing every single morning. And I've used this justification that the season of life we're in, like I tried to quit coffee last year, and I was just a bad human being. We had a one-month-old in, at the beginning of Lent, and you know, for, life is full. And I was like, God, something's got to give here. I, I don't think I can do this. I've started committing to Fridays because it's a fast day, the day of Jesus' crucifixion. I'm going to go without coffee. And it's amazing. I've, I've been able to do it. And I have been a decent human being. I, this is a victory. I'm serious. I am praising the Lord. So you, I hope you have a version of that where you're saying, Lord, I, I don't know how this is possible, but I'm going to try. I'm going to trust you on this. Fasting, it's going against the normal way of thinking that we take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves. In prayer, this is, so fasting, prayer, and almsgiving are the three Lenten practices. In prayer, we're breaking the habit of thinking that we have to be the primary movers in our life. I'm the one who makes things happen in my life. When we pray, we're fasting from that attitude and we're saying, Lord, you know, and you know how to make things happen better than I can make things happen. We're changing the logic in our minds. And it is the same things with almsgiving. In almsgiving, we reject the logic of the world that we have to make money for ourselves and provide for ourselves all the time. And we give not just a pittance, we give until it hurts. And we say to God, you're my provider, I am not my provider. Lent changes the logic of our lives. And listen, if we're to be a church that tells people about Jesus, that you need Jesus, then we should be learning that God can provide for us and we should really believe that. Do we? Lent is training us to believe it again in the depth of our bones when it comes to eating, when it comes to paying the bills, when it comes to prayer and reliance. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means leaving behind our normal ways of knowing and trusting in our bones in the Spirit of God who brings life through Jesus Christ, through His death on our behalf. Now, I want to close by talking with you for just a minute about what this believing can look like on the ground. In people's lives, to believe in Jesus. You know, it it has surprised me that this passage has been used for a long time to push for dramatic conversions, for big tent revivals with lots of people coming forward in instantaneous decisions. Those are not bad things, but those are not what John conveys through the story of Nicodemus. That's what I want you to hear for a moment. In this first encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus is completely stumped. How can these things be? Does that mean it's over with Nicodemus? Does that mean he doesn't have any other chances to believe? Evangelists today might say that this was a failed gospel presentation by Jesus. He should have changed his technique. He should have been a little more inviting. Don't give it to him all at once, Jesus. Jesus. Lay it on him slowly. But Nicodemus shows up in the Gospel of John two more times. And each time, we are not told exactly what's happening, but what it looks like is that Nicodemus is slowly coming into the light of Jesus. So the next time that he comes up after this, He's defending Jesus to the Sanhedrin and to the religious authorities. The next time he comes into the story, he's helping bury Jesus. He's anointing his body with spices. I think that we are being shown what it can look like for someone to be born again. And it is not always a loud instantaneous event. Sometimes it is slow. Sometimes there is great confusion. But that does not mean that it's over. Or that you should give up hope. Listen. What begins to happen is that life begins to be unexplainable apart from the movement of God and the Holy Spirit. That's what happens to Nicodemus. And what I would like you to hear in this is that we as a church, if you're a Christian, you are called to be a personal witness to Jesus to friends, to family, to co-workers, to your community. We're called to bear witness to the life, the love, the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus to forgive our sins. Do not give up when that is a slow work. This is what I want you to hear. Do not give up when that is a slow work. You don't have to do it all at once. You should be encouraged that you can be bold. You don't have to dumb it down. Jesus didn't. But you should pray as much as you talk. Because if the Spirit of God is not at work, nothing will happen. This is what Nicodemus' story tells us. It is the Spirit of God that leads people and draws people to Him. And so you should pray and cry your heart out that the Spirit of God would be at work in the people that you want to see come to Jesus in your life. And you should pray that Jesus would use you and lead you into those relationships so that you can bear witness And you should be patient, because sometimes the work doesn't happen all at once. The last thing that I want to talk to you about is, uh, how many of you have noticed, read about this thing that's happening at Asbury um, College? Any of you? Um, So there's been this really crazy thing where students have simply stayed in the, the chapel, and prayed, and confessed their sins, and shared testimonies of faith for days, weeks, and thousands and thousands of people have come to this community. Here's the remarkable thing about this story to me, is that the way people have described it is as a quiet and peaceful work of God. Quiet and and peaceful work of God. They've intentionally c- told celebrities they can't come. There was, there's a Christian artist who's sort of celebrity. He was scheduled to be there to play before this happened. They canceled his show because they didn't want this to have anything to do with celebrities. It's remarkable. Look, our idea of God working is loud, big t- revival kinds of things. Those aren't bad. But what I think... God wants to do among us is to pour His Spirit out in perhaps even a quiet and peaceful kind of way. In a world where everything has to be loud and people are yelling at each other. What if the work that God wants to do is something that is deep but subtle? Our, our uh, vision as a church, abiding in Christ, It's not that loud, is it? A lot of people are like, what in the world does that mean? How do you even do that? And what I want to say to you, Church of the Lamb, is that for us to be successful as a church means that we are dependent on the Spirit of God to actually help us live in relationship with Jesus and bear witness to His name in this community, in service and in love. And the only way that it will accomplish anything is because of the Spirit of God. So are you, are you thinking, not I know, but Lord, you know? Is that how you're living out your life? Are you trusting that He is the one that does the work that provides for you? This is what it means to believe in Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.